Well, as I pointed out at the beginning of the service, uh, it is the first Sunday of the month, and so Communion Sunday for us. Uh, But of course, not only that, it's also a Sunday with loud echoes. (laughs) No, seriously, uh, it is also Palm Sunday, a Sunday that begins a very significant week. And as Alan pointed out, it's been a very heavy week. And I am sure like many of you, uh, I have been thinking a lot of many of the losses, but in particular the, the devastating events in Nashville. And as I have thought of those and been praying for those folks, it has been such a vivid reminder of why this week matters so much, of why this week is so very important. And so we mourn with and we pray for our brothers and sisters of Covenant Prez and the Covenant School. And we also, together with them, we cling to the sure and certain hope that was won for us in Jerusalem this week over 2,000 years ago. So again, Palm Sunday, uh, the beginning of a significant, most important week, the beginning of Holy Week, also known as Passion Week. As the church worldwide, as we set our sights on, as we journey together with Jesus to the cross, And the most momentous week in world history actually begins in Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. And we'll see that in our passage this morning, uh, which is in John chapter 12. Uh, It's the first eight verses. Well, let's pray, and then we'll hear this part of God's Word. Well, Almighty God, We thank you that you are the God who has come near. The God who is not only for us, but with us. And that you are the resurrection and the life. And oh, how we thank you for your life-giving word. And for the truth of the gospel that you have revealed to us in Jesus. And so we would ask now, that by the power of your Spirit, you would open your word to us and us to your word. Amen. And so, John uh, chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, I hear the word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, 
one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And this is God's word. Well, again, the most momentous week in world history begins here with the arrival of Jesus at Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, on the road to the cross. And here, John tells a peculiar story. So the the last time that we find Jesus in Bethany, of course, was in the previous chapter, uh, chapter 11 of John's gospel. You're familiar with it, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Well, now we're in chapter 12, and we find ourselves back in Bethany, just two miles from Jerusalem. So what's going on now? What, What is happening in Bethany at this time? Well, as we read, there is a dinner being given. It's being given in honor of Jesus. Uh, Martha serves. Lazarus is at the table. Mary anoints Jesus. Uh, Judas objects. Jesus defends and speaks of his death. Now, as you may know, John is not the only gospel writer uh, to share this story. Uh, Matthew and Mark record this encounter with Jesus as well. Uh, Matthew 26 and Mark 14. And so together, as you hold these three gospels, uh, these three accounts, they give us a much fuller picture of what happened this day. And so with that said, there are two things that I'm going to highlight in this passage. Uh, There are many uh, more things that we could take a look at, but but I think these are, are probably the two most central things, and I believe the ones that John most wants us to hear and to see. And so the first thing. The first thing that we need to see in this passage is Mary. We need to see Mary, what she does and why she does it. It Says verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment. Okay, so there's a dinner party in honor of Jesus. Therefore, Mary brought in some perfume. Okay, how are those two things even connected? Well, they're connected because it was common that at special meals, people would bring in perfume to anoint the guests. Now, why would they do that? Well, think about that day and time. Think about the climate, hot, dry, lots of dust, lots of bugs and animals, lots of sweaty people. Because, hey, no air conditioning, no refrigeration, no running water, no showers, no toothpaste or toothbrushes. In other words, it stunk. And so perfume and spices were not a luxury, they were a necessity. At special gatherings, guests were often anointed with a little dab of perfume as they came in. Maybe it was on their forehead or on their chin. And this wasn't so much to make them smell better, but it was to act as a a protective barrier for them so that they didn't have to smell everything else around them. And so, you know, you you might think about it if you were watching a a crime drama, the investigator walks in, it is just a grotesque scene 
and, and you, you can tell their stomach is turning. So they step away and they come back and they have a towel over their nose and their mouth and sometimes putting something that, that smells better on it. So you might think of it just a little bit like that. And so in, in this culture, to have a pleasant dinner party, it would include getting out the perfume. And so that is not a surprise to anyone at all. It's what Mary actually does with the perfume that's so outrageous. It's so startling and unacceptable to everyone. But, but why is it so outrageous? Well, there's a few reasons for that. For one, Mary empties all of the expensive perfume, okay? It's not just a little dab for each guest. Each guest. It is all of it. Now, from Mark's account, we learn that Mary, she broke open the box or the flask that, that uh, held that perfume. And so to break open the container means that you are using the entirety of it. And what Mary used was very expensive stuff. In fact, it's not what you would typically bring out to anoint your guests. I mean, Judas makes clear how much this is worth, saying that it is worth an entire year's wages. And most commentators agree that this would have easily been the most valuable thing that they had in this household. The most valuable thing for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In other words, their financial security, possibly their life savings. Well, Mary is saying something by what she does. And what Mary is saying to Jesus is this. Jesus, I will give you everything. I'll trust you with all that I have. I will follow you no matter how much it costs. Okay, well, another thing that she does that's so shocking is this. Mary goes to Jesus' feet. His feet. Now, if you're familiar with Matthew and Mark, they speak of Mary pouring the perfume over Jesus' head. And so which is it? His head or his feet? And the answer is yes. It's both. It's both. Jesus actually makes clear that it is his whole body, saying that Mary has poured this ointment on my body. And so literally, Mary has anointed Jesus from head to toe. Now, of course, here, John focuses on the feet. Why? Well, remember, it says that they were reclining at table. And so, as you may know, at special meals, guests would, would often, they would be lying on the ground, lying on the floor, I should say, with a low-lying table, they would prop themselves up with the elbow of one arm. They would eat with the hand of the other arm, but their heads would all be close to the table with the rest of their body uh, sticking out away from the table. And of course, that means their feet were furthest away. Mary had easy access to Jesus's feet. But here's the thing. Dealing with feet in that day and age was gross. It was nasty. It was one reason their feet were so far away from the food and the rest of the table. But not only that, it was seen as humiliating and degrading to deal with feet. In fact, dealing with feet was something that only a servant would do. And only a non-Jewish servant at that. And so if you were a Jewish servant, you had rights. You didn't have to clean people's feet. You didn't have to deal with them. 
Well, Mary is saying something through this act as well. And what Mary is saying to Jesus is this. She is saying, I will serve you no matter what. I give up my rights, my control. There is nothing that you can't ask of me. Okay, well, something else that Mary does. The most startling thing of all is this. Mary lets down her hair. She lets down her hair. Mary unbound her hair at this dinner party so that she could wipe Jesus' feet with it. And this isn't just startling. This is scandalous. It's scandalous because in that culture, a woman unbinding her hair was seen not only as inappropriate, but it was seen as being suggestive. In fact, rabbis held that if a married woman unbound her hair in public, that was grounds for divorce. So it's that serious. Any woman letting down her hair was seen as immoral because to unbind one's hair was to express openness, affection, intimacy, abandon. And guess what? Mary is saying something specific through this action as well. And what Mary is saying to Jesus is this. Jesus, I'm not just giving you everything I have and committing to follow and serve you no matter what, but I am completely giving myself to you. All that I am to all that I have. I am yours fully and completely. There is no one else. And so what we see is we see this deep, passionate love that Mary has for Jesus. I mean, whether or not she has financial means, good health, a good job, a loving spouse, whether or not she loses her brother or sister to death, Mary pours it all out at the feet of Jesus because she trusts that he is truly everything she needs. And so that's the first thing for us to see. We need to see Mary, what she does and why she does it. And so the second thing, the second thing we need to see in this passage is what Mary saw and how she saw it. We need to see Jesus and not only see him, but to see him clearly as Mary did. Because Mary really sees Jesus, sees him for who he is, sees him for what he is doing and what he is about to do. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that Mary clearly sees him. Okay, take a look at what he says. Verse 7. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. Now, Mark's gospel records it this way. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. 
Now, Jesus is not dismissing the poor, not at all. Rather, what he is doing at this moment is he is emphasizing his impending death. And Mary sees it. And so what Jesus is saying here is that Mary basically knows that he is about to die, that he will be buried. And and here's what I mean. Okay, so we know that there are multiple Marys mentioned throughout Scripture. This particular Mary is mentioned three times in the Gospels, three times. And guess where we find her each time? Each time we find her at the feet of Jesus. Luke 10, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning. John 11, she is falling at Jesus' feet in desperation and dependence. Here, John 12, Mary is pouring herself out at Jesus' feet in gratitude and love. And as we learned in the previous chapter, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they are good friends with Jesus. They have known him for a long time. They have spent lots of time together. And we see here that Mary is a learner. Okay, over all these years, she has been listening carefully to everything Jesus has been talking about. She's paid attention. She is taking it all in. I mean, she has even had to wrestle with the truth about who he says he is in the face of her own personal tragedy, the face of death when she lost her brother in the previous chapter. And now, now it is all coming together for her. She clearly sees She really gets it. And you know, Mary seems to understand more than anyone else what is really going on. So we'll we'll end with this. Uh, Take a look toward the end of, of chapter 11. And this, of course, is after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, and we read verses 45 and 46. Many of the Jews, therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then a few verses later it says, from that day on they made plans to put Jesus to death. And so for Mary, she's connected the dots. It is all beginning to make sense And here's how one commentator puts it. Some of the people went and told the Pharisees that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And surely some of Mary's friends who now believed in Jesus told Mary about what the others had done. And so Mary comes into this dinner party and is basically saying, Lord, I now realize something. I now realize that the only way You could have raised my brother was to bury yourself. I realize that the only way you can interrupt my funeral is to cause your own. I realize that it's not so simple. If you're going to give us life, then you're going to have to lose your own. I know I don't fully understand the sacrifice you're making, but I do see it. Mary sees what Jesus has done and what it's going to cost him. 
what he is doing. Now, she may not understand all of it. We don't either. She may not understand everything, but his love has awakened her heart. His love has enlivened her, has awakened her love. And friends, so it is for us. It's only in really seeing his love clearly that our love is truly awakened. And it always, all starts at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at his feet, listening and learning, trying to understand, putting things together, paying attention. Falling at his feet in desperation, independence, recognizing our absolute need of a Savior and his full provision of one, as one. And at the feet of Jesus, pouring yourself out in gratitude and love, trusting him with all that you are as well as all that you have. Victor Hugo famously said, Life's greatest happiness is to be convinced that we are loved. Well, at the foot of the cross, at the feet of Jesus, that's where we become more and more convinced that we are truly and fully loved by God. And we see the cross and the feet of the one who is pierced on that cross, we see it not only in his word, but also here at this table. A table that is, the, that is for those who have looked to him for the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God, who are a part of his body, who know his good news. Now, like Mary, we don't understand it all. But we can see clearly his love shed on the cross for us. And in that, friends, in that, brothers and sisters, we rejoice as our love is awakened more and more and more. For later that week, <clears throat> on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, same way after supper, he took the cup said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, his sacrificial death on our behalf until he comes again in the fullness of his glory. <clears throat> 